Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Garth Ball. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. James this morning because uh, we've been looking at our Promised Land series, and this is probably the last um, the last time you'll hear from me uh, in this series. And I want to just look at uh, the relationship between your best life and trials in our life, uh, because I think sometimes people feel that because we experience difficulties, that we can't live in the promised land of our life, and the term that we've been using is your best life. And, um, you know, some personal situations over the past few years, um, going to Africa and seeing the amount of suffering and and challenges that people are facing, you know, every day there. When we were there alone, one church lost their youth pastor, uh, died. They had two of the kids die from nodding disease. They had uh, another member of another church die that was just in one region and, and and so just seeing some of these things and and sort of just viewing the world and life and I guess getting older and just getting a few more uh, you know life experiences has just given me a real appreciation for trials and and you know we're going to read here about uh, James saying rejoice uh, consider it pure joy when you're experiencing trials and I've never quite been able to share his enthusiasm about that but but as I say, recently I just have. I've just somehow just stuff's happened, and, and but there's been this strength and, and God shifting and moving things in my world, and and actually I feel like I've come to uh, a bit of an appreciation for this. I don't think we're to enjoy them, but there's a joy in them, uh, and you know God does a lot of good out of those times. So you know if you're having a really great time, then God bless you. I pray that that would continue for you forever. It probably won't. You'll pro- <laughs> there'll probably be some difficulties coming your way sooner or later. Of course, life is full of ups and downs. It's not being negative. That's just the fact of life is that it has its peaks, it has its valleys, and we've got to learn how to live our best life in the midst of uh, all of those circumstances. So let us read from James uh, chapter 1, verse 1 this morning. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And even that word greetings in the Greek literally means rejoice. It means, or, you know, to be rejoicing. And so he's writing to scattered uh, Jewish Christians who have fled because of persecution and all sorts of difficulties. And the greeting he brings is rejoice. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And you know, I don't know what kind of uh, challenges you're facing here this morning, but they're sort of uh, innumerable, aren't they? There's, you know, maybe there's confusion, fear, um, loneliness, injustice, poverty, sickness, loss of home, family members, livelihood, relationship struggles, insecurities, all these different things that we face in life that, you know, people come to church, we come every week and we come to be you know, hear the word and we come to worship God and we come to have fellowship, but, you know, these are a lot of the things we carry in with us. Um, and then it says, let us, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, which is pretty good. Um, 
So as I said, we've been looking at the phrase a lot, you've heard, my best life or your best life. And, uh, you know, I think there's some Christians out there that might have a problem with that message. Uh, And I say that because uh, I've experienced some of those Christians before. For example, when I was a chaplain in a Christian school, uh, there's an initiative with Youth Alive called um, Exoday. And Exoday carries the message that life with Jesus is excellent. And there's a big Exoday down in Sydney and biggest youth youth event, the drug and alcohol-free youth event in New South Wales. And each school has their mini Exodays leading up to that, bringing the message to the school, life with Jesus is excellent. And I, as a chaplain in an area, in a region where life is not valued that much by young people at times, and young people try and struggle to get the message that life is excellent in general, I thought that was a valuable cause. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do these exo days, and I think they're really valuable. Unfortunately, some people didn't share my same view, and I had uh, one particular person come up to me and say something like this, uh, Christian schools don't need this. We can't mislead our young people into thinking that life is all good. Um, We need them to understand that life is difficult and things don't always go well. So we don't just need to have a party and pretend that everything's fine. We need them to understand that life is difficult. And I understand that sentiment because, you know, the Bible is pretty clear about our struggles. Psalm 34, 19, the righteous person may have many troubles, but, there's always a but, but the Lord delivers him from them all. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so I understand what people, why people have that thought sometimes of, you know, we can't just, you know, swing one way and say life is going to be amazing. I agree with that. But I think what they do is they take what is a yes and situation and turn it into an either-or situation. It's like we have to choose one at the expense of the other, but I don't think that's how it necessarily is. Paul didn't think it was. He said in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and, oh, I'm not going to rub that out, and there are many who oppose me. So Paul didn't say, but there are many who oppose me. He didn't say, well, there's a great opportunity, but this has happened. He said, there's a great opportunity, and this has happened. This, that didn't negate that. It was complementary and all-inclusive of that. And so I don't think we need to have a, a, live a life where it's either blessing or hardship. It's not prosperity or lack, but it can be everything all in one. And I feel like that our best life is made all the better because of trials, and it's part and parcel of it, and that God wants us to live our best life even in difficult situations. I believe that uh, our trials in our life don't prevent us from living our best life, but I believe they prepare us for it and they propel us into it. Um, so that's what I want to look at this morning. And, and as I said before, you, you, we can't, I think if you swing either way, you get yourself in trouble. If you swing to life is amazing all the time, then you're going to be frustrated and have difficulties when life gets hard. But if you swing all the way this way and life's so hard, then you're going to miss out on a lot of the good and a lot of the blessing that God has for us uh, during all that. So I want to share this morning three lessons that I've learned over the past few years about how to live your best life in the midst of trials. And so I hope that will encourage you this morning. First one is this. First lesson is keep your faith. 
James 1 verse 2 and 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith. Um, let me go down to this verse as well. In 1 Peter, Peter agrees, that's James speaking. Peter says the same thing. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuous, genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. John Stott says, uh, we say that we believe God is our Father, but as long as we remain untested on the point of our belief, uh, untested on the point, our belief falls short of steady conviction. But suppose the day comes, as it does and will, that's why I wasn't being negative in saying that life is difficult, it does come and it will come, when circumstances seem to mock our creed, when the cruelty of life denies his fatherliness, it is in this way that life's trials test our faith for genuineness. Um, and so I don't, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of natural uh, responses, I guess, to difficulties in our life. And, and it's not to take away the natural challenges that we face and our initial things. I mean, there's, um, uh, I'll go down to, to this. Uh, I read a, a, one guy said uh, there's a few responses. One's fear. What will become of me? You know, we, when, when something happens, we fear. What's going to happen here? What's going to become of me? Um, there can be anger. You know, how could they do this to me? How can this happen to me? And, and we get angry on the inside. We could have uh, self-pity. And, you know, why won't someone feel sorry for me? Someone should feel sorry. You know, this is difficult. You don't know what it's like. This is, this is hard. Uh, you can... Uh, envy is a, is a is a big one. Why why am I why me? Why isn't you know look at other people having their great life and and that person's not going through that? Why am I going through this? Uh, and one of the biggest ones I think is confusion. Like why why is this happening? What's going on, God? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this to me? What's going on? And these are all, uh, you know, they're all natural responses, but. What I've found is that we need to come to a place whether these questions in our life are answered or they're not answered to a place of faith that believes God regardless of what is going on. Um, you know, I mean, th me as a young Christian, uh, my faith probably wasn't too genuine because I know things would be going well and then something would go wrong and then all of a sudden I'd be out going to the club and getting drunk. Uh, you know, just not to get confessions, just how it was. And then things would be going well again. I'd be in church and it'd be okay. And then things would be difficult and then I'd be off doing this and, you know, it'd be up and down. But that's an immature way of faith. But God wants to bring us to a point of maturity where our faith is just solid. And, and, and what a great shame it is and, and how often we see it too often. You know, people come and meet the Lord or they come in the church or they've been in church for a while and something happens and all of a sudden they disappear. God wants us not to destroy our faith. These things come not to destroy our faith, but to test them and to actually purify our faith and make it more genuine. Um, but not only do I think that we need to uh, keep a faith that believes, you know, God is good, that He, uh, you know, is worth clinging to, or even, you know, maybe just hanging on to salvation. Knowing well, and, and that's a great, I mean, how good is salvation? Knowing that no matter what happens here, that's a lot of the message of the Bible. No matter what happens here, we're living somewhere else and it's eternal, this is perishing and it's gonna be much better than what's going on here. But, and that's fantastic, but 
I think that we should, don't even need to live in a defeated place where we, where we think, okay, well, I'm just going to cling to the next life and stop believing God for this one. And I think so often we, we lose our faith for this life right now if a struggle seems to go a bit longer than we think it should. Um, but God, I think, has other plans. I think he wants us to keep our faith and keep believing him even when things get challenging. And I think I've shared this recently. I've shared it a few places, but I just want to look again at Daniel chapter 3 because I think this is a, an incredible picture of the attitude that we need to have when pressure comes into our world. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, told, bow down, worship the golden statue. If you don't, I'm going to throw you in a blazing furnace. Uh, pretty difficult situation, one would say. Uh, but their response is this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the idol, the image of gold that you have set up. I think without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what is going on in our world, we need to come to a conviction, have a conviction on the inside that the God we serve is able to deliver us. We cannot lose that conviction on the inside and stop believing that our God is able. I mean, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able, there we go again, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at, that is at work in us. Now, you look at all the biblical characters. If the woman with the issue of blood had given up after 11 years and not seen the 12th, what would have happened? Nothing. And it's the same story for so many people that, that kept, went through hardship and finally saw the, the breakthrough of God in their world. If we stop believing God, I think that that is a, an incorrect response to our challenges. I think we need to have faith to believe God. But the thing that enables us to, that enables us to persevere in our believing is the other attitude we saw here. So this one was an attitude of faith, our God is able, but the other one is an attitude of trust. It says, but even if he does not, because the two go, they work together to enable us to walk into all that God has for us. You can have faith, and faith is about laying hold of, and you can lay hold of and you can believe, but if circumstances don't change after a period of time, you're gonna find yourself tired and worn out. Uh, because there's a lot of action involved in our faith. God is able. Come on, I'm going to believe you, God. But the thing, you know, Hebrews 6 verse 12 says it's faith and patience that inherits the promise. And so I feel like this is a perfect picture that we need to say God is able, but even if he does not, still we're going to serve him. Or even if he does not do it in the timing or in the way that we're expecting it, still I'm going to worship him. And so we have these two tensions. One's laying hold of and his faith. One's letting go of and his trust. And that one brings rest. And so, you know, it's this balance of, you know, holding on, but letting go and saying, God, I trust you. And I tell you what, there's nothing better than having something going, in your, going on in your world, being able to come before God and say, God, I believe you, but I trust you. I believe you and I trust you. God, I, you know, is this thing's too big for me? I can't sort it out, so I'm going to trust you while this is still going on. But God, I'm still not going to stop believing that you're going to break through in my world and bring, you know, a change in my situation and in my circumstances. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, we've heard a whole lot over this series that faith is a necessary ingredient to walking in your best life. Trials cannot stop that. Difficulties cannot stop that. In fact, faith is at its best 
when, when, when struggles are coming towards your life and trials are happening in your life, it's a time for your faith to be stronger, to shine, for you to hold on to it, to believe God. Because you don't really need too much faith to believe God when things are going really well. But when things are going really poorly, that's when you need faith to believe God, that He is who He says He is, He can do what He says He can do, and that you know He does turn all things around for good. So keeping your faith, I believe, is, is, is the first thing that I've learned uh, in, in walking in your best life during, trouble, during trials. Uh, the second thing that I feel that we need to do is to remain fruitful. Remain fruitful. James 1 verse 4 says, let perseverance finish its work. Now, I don't know what your trial is that you're facing. I don't know how long it's got to go. It might be almost over. You might be on the brink of a breakthrough. Or maybe you've got some time left until you see you know, what you would like to see in God. Uh, but it does tell me that, that this word perseverance, that often our struggles and our trials go longer than what we'd like them to, uh, no matter how long they've gone for or however long they've got to go. The problem is that some people face is they stop being fruitful in the midst of their struggle. So it's like, you know, how many times have seen people, oh, I can't serve at church anymore because, you know, things are going really bad in my life, or, you know, they stop praying or they stop witnessing. Uh, stop, you know, getting into the words, stop, uh, you know, doing the, the gift, you know, stop um, using the gift of God that's on their life because things are difficult. And I think that is uh, another attitude that's going to get us into a world of trouble. I think as long as we have that attitude and we keep withdrawing when things are difficult instead of pressing forward, then we're not going to be walking in our best life. We're going to be living in a life that is defeated and that is not doing what God has called us to do. Because it is often in the most difficult times in your life that God is going to do the greatest things. And if you withdraw instead of push forward, then you're going to miss out on a whole lot of stuff that God has in store for you to do. Let's have a look at Joseph, who I think is an incredible picture of this. Uh, Context of this passage is that he's just been uh, mistreated in in a most severe way by people that are the closest to him. He's been sold into slavery. Uh, He's been left for dead and said, you know, whatever. And I don't know if any of you can, you know, um, you know, feel, empathize with that situation of being mistreated by someone that's close to you. But here he is, he's found himself into, in Egypt, it says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the fields. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, I find this quite incredible that in this difficult situation, it says, let's look at a couple of things, that firstly, the Lord was with Joseph. You know, God is with you just as much in your difficult situation as much as he is in your good situation. Um, it says that he prospered, that he uh, gave him success in everything he did, that Joseph found favor, uh, that you know, Potiphar put him in charge of everything. Uh, and then it said, not only was Joseph blessed, but 
the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. Uh, it says, because of Joseph. There we go. Because of Joseph. I find that an incredible situation. A situation where so many people would have sort of shrunk back, gone, well, life's pretty difficult right now. Joseph found favor, success, he prospered, and other people prospered because of him. And I believe that we can live in a place that is bearing fruit for the kingdom of God and, and, and living all the things that God has called you to do, even when things might not be going well in your personal world. Um, I think I might have a quote here. No, I don't. But I do hear, uh, quote here, it says, James's burden in writing his passage says, don't put off your life of faith until times get better. Right now, in the midst of your suffering, is the very time to be putting your servanthood toward Christ into practice. And, you know, we see this, I mean, you can go and do your own reading through the Bible, looking and observing life of Christians, men and women of God all around the world, and that some of the greatest things that are accomplished are in the context text of some turmoil in personal worlds. Uh, I think of Rick Warren, uh, who recently, you know, he and his wife lost their son to suicide. I don't know if you've been, you know, following that story, but Rick Warren, uh, pastor of Saddleback Church in the States, author of Purpose Driven Life, second best-selling book of all time in English, second to the Bible, uh, church of 20-odd thousand, network of churches, I think one of the most influential guys in Christianity today. Uh, I didn't know, but his son had been, and their family had been walking their son through this, this turmoil for his whole life. He had, it was, he had mental illness, and, and, and the family was struggling, and the son was down trying to believe God, and it had their toll on the parents. All the while, Rick's just bearing all this incredible fruit, and most people have no idea what's going on. And uh, I think, imagine if he had pulled out when, th when things were difficult and the, the, the countless lives that would have been, uh, you know, missed out on the blessing through his ministry if he had have pulled out. And then even recently, when the worst thing has pro possibly happened that a parent could experience, uh, it took some time out for healing and now still very much grieving, but still back in that pulpit after a good period of time and preaching the word and he's going to bear a whole, you know, a whole bunch more fruit as well. And so I just take such an encouragement from that, knowing that you don't have to wait till everything's right to start doing what God's called you to do. And if you do, you'll probably miss out on most of it. Um, looking at the, at, at the word here, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 to 2, now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy. So James was talking about joy in trials. Peter's talking about joy in trials. Now Paul's talking about joy in trials. Uh, and in their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. Isn't that incredible? And even in the midst of an incredible trial, if you, with, the, with the joy in that situation, the result of that was a fruit of generosity from people that were really poor. And so no matter what your trial is right now, that if you can find joy in that and find God in that and step out and trust Him enough within that, then you can bear fruit also. Lastly, last example we'll look at is uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 in the New Living Translation. Timothy's a young pastor uh, of a church in Ephesus. There's a whole lot of persecution in that city. His church leadership are rebelling against him. There's all this turmoil going on in his world. He writes to Paul and says, hey, Paul, this is crazy. I don't know what to do. Paul replies and he says, preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. I love that, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So I don't know whether your time is favorable, favorable or if it's not, but uh, this thing here, be prepared, the Greek word means to, to uh, 
to hold, hold your stand fast, to hold your position. It's a military term, term that just says, keep doing what you're doing. Keep believing God. Keep bearing fruit. Keep extending your gifts. Keep being fruitful. No matter what's going on, just keep letting God have his way, whether the season's favorable or not. And uh, last scripture on this point, I just think it's a really cool one. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Is that you this morning? I know, do you trust in the Lord? Is your, is your faith got a bit of genuineness to it? Uh, if you do, then this is what you are going to be like. They are like trees planted along a riverbank uh, with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. That's the sort of Christian that I want to be like, not a Christian that stops producing fruit when things get hard, withdraws, but someone who just stands, hard, stands fast and goes, you know what? No matter what's going on, I'm going to keep doing what I'm called to do. I'm going to keep bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. And I pray that that's the sort of church that we are as well. Lastly, third thing that I have found that we need to do in order to live our best life while in the midst of challenging circumstances, we need to embrace the furnace. And that sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? It says, James in the message version says, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed not deficient in any way. God has you on a journey where you are, he is developing you into a person that is mature and well-developed. Um, I've been longing to use this analogy for a little while now, and Jamie's going to find this quite hilarious, but uh, I, I, I don't really like grocery shopping, and uh, it's all right. I mean, I, I know it helps Jamie, and she um, you know, appreciates someone else being there, and, and it gets done, but the one thing I hate most about grocery shopping is trolleys. And because, I don't know if it's just you, but me, but you can't get one that goes straight. True? And so I've resorted to testing them out before I get one because I'd spent too long doing the, like, you know, putting your back into it. And so what I'll do, Jamie walks off and starts shopping while I get a trolley because she doesn't want to be around me. But I pull a trolley out and I push it for about two or three meters without holding it, just push it along to see if it veers off or if it goes straight. And, um, and so, you know, it's sometimes, but and still, like sometimes it takes like five trolleys to even find one that in that situation, so I'm there, nah, put that one back. Now I push it, nah, put that one back. Anyway, it's just something, it's a price I'm willing to pay to have a good trolley. But, but this is what I, this is the great revelation that I found about this, right? You ready? You ready for this analogy? It's powerful. Uh, is this, that sometimes I found a trolley that seemed good. Seemed good. You see where I'm going? Seemed good. Push it, straight. Yeah, got a good one. But then when I put something in it, when I put weight or pressure in it, all of a sudden, uh, it starts going that way. And, you know, it reminded me of, like I was saying before, when I was a Christian, everything seems all right in immaturity when you're with some people. Everything seems all right when there's no pressure or weight put on it like our Christianity, like me when I was a young Christian, everything's fine when I had no weight or pressure on my world, but the minute you put some weight on it, I was psh, out that way, I was psh, out that way. That's not how God wants us to be. You know, God tests us and he puts weight on us to one, reveal our weakness, because until that comes, often we don't even know things that need to shift in our heart. Um, you know, there's an African proverb here that has smooth, uh, smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. I think that's pretty cool. Um, 
but, but it's when pressure comes that, that we actually go, oh man, there's a bit of a flaw here, there's a bit of a weakness in, in me. And, and, but, but not only that, it's not only there to, to identify a weakness, but it's there to perfect the weakness. And it's there to actually uh, smooth that weakness out and make it a strength, not a weakness, and to, and to bring some, some strength into our life. And, and, and I'm convinced that God uses difficult situations. I'm not going to go into a theology of God causing bad things and all that sort of thing. But all I know is this, that God uses difficult situations to shift our character. Uh, Wisby says, those times when you feel like quitting can be times of great opportunity for God uses your troubles to help you grow. Um, this is a scripture I just want to finish on. It says in Isaiah, and Lisa, you can come up and, and join us. That'd be great. Um, you know, it talks about being refined. Malachi talks about us being refined as like silver. And Isaiah 48, 10 here says, See, I've refined you, though not as silver. I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. So in, with humans, we're not going to test you in the furnace of fire. What we're going to do is going to test you in the furnace of affliction. Uh, because I don't have time to flesh it out, but see, when you're born into this world, sin affects you in two ways. It affects you in a legal sense, that you have a legal declaration of guilt over your life and condemnation and separation from God, but also you have a physical separation, a sinful nature that actually separates you from God. That's why God does two things in our salvation. He justifies us, which gets rid of the legal declaration of guilt, and He replaces it with a legal declaration of righteousness. But also that, He, he, he renews us, He sanctifies us. And he not, only, he not only declares us as being righteous, but He recreates us righteous and He transforms us into the image of Christ to get rid of that sinful nature. And part of the process He uses in that, I think it's one of the most beautiful processes that I've ever experienced, being sanctified, being transformed into the image of Christ. It's bad if you make it a workspace thing to please God. I've experienced that one as well. But if it's out of a response to just drawing near to God and responding to the trials of life and being more like Him in our attitudes and in our responses and our, in our way we treat others and in the way we view ourselves and in the way we you know, walk with God, then it's quite a beautiful thing as we become more like Christ. Um, so it says here, I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. Let me just read you this quote from, from a book. It was the first Christian book I ever wrote, read. Um, probably never heard of her. Named Sandra Quirin. And it's called The Prayer of Job. Um, speaking of the passage on being refined in Malachi, it says, A woman read the above passage in Malachi, there we go, um, decided to visit a silversmith to see if she, excuse her error, could come to a deeper understanding of it. Although, she, although not explaining the reason behind her visit, she received her permission to watch the process of refining silver and asked him questions about it. Do you actually sit there while the work of refining is going on? She asked. He replied, yes, of course I do. I must sit with my eyes steadily fixed on the furnace because if the time necessary for refining is exceeded, even in the slightest degree, the silver will be what we call injured. At once the lady saw the beauty and comfort of the expression, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So God is watching you every step of the way. He's not distant from your situation. He's not, uh, he doesn't not care about your situation. He is watching you intently the whole way. He's not going to let you go one moment more than you can bear so you'll become injured. But He's going to be watch you and just at the right time pull you out into whatever situation He needs to. The next one says, 
Before the woman left, she asked the silversmith one last question. When do you know the process is complete? That is the simplest part of all, he said. When I can see my own image in the reflection of the silver, then the refining process is finished, which is pretty powerful. So God, in all of this, there's this theme throughout Scripture. This is uh, used as an analogy of being refined. John 15 uses it as an analogy about pruning. Uh, Hebrews 12 uses it, the trials of life, as a, in terms of discipline and, and training someone up into the person they're called to be. But whatever analogy you use, part of your best life, I've said a few weeks ago that living in our best life is the God version of us, living the God plan for us. And so as you allow God refining you, going through these difficulties, difficulties cannot stop you walking in your best life. They can't. They prepare you for it. They, they propel you into it. They, they help you every step of the way to live your best life. If you have the courage to trust God, if you have the courage to believe God, if you have the courage to step out, even in the midst of challenges and even when it's hard, even when it hurts, if you'd step out and believe Him, even when all that's going on. And if you'll yield yourself to what's going on and say, well, you know, God's not, I'm not saying God causes things, you know, to teach you a lesson. I'm not saying, you know, people, some people say, oh, God made that person sick to teach them a lesson. That's rubbish. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying that God uses all these things. We read in Romans 8 of, you know, He turns all things around for good. He uses the trials of life. He uses the difficulties you're facing so that Christ may be fashioned in you and that you can be more like Him. And I tell you what, if we can just yield to God in these times and and remember we need to keep our faith, believing Him that it's not over, that that delay doesn't mean denial, that, that sometimes it's wait, it's not yet, it's not no. If we can keep believing Him in the midst of that, if we can... If we can keep bearing fruit and stepping out and and reaching this world for Him, even in the midst of it, if we can allow Him to shift our hearts and keep refining us and transforming us into the people that are going to live the God plan for us, then I think we can live our best life right here, right now, no matter what's going on outside, no matter what's coming on, uh, pressure in your world, that you can resist all that, you can stand firm in that, trusting God, believing Him, and live your best life at the same time. That's why I don't think it's an either-or scenario, that you can have both. That he said, you know, there's going to be blessings along with persecutions. And so why don't we stand up and, and spend a few moments praying this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.